Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Each episode, we'll bring on some experts, talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Kelly Whalen, a marketing professional and association enthusiast, and I'm so happy you're here. And now let's start the show. Welcome back to the Member Engagement Show. Today, I'm joined by Lucas McCann, President and CEO of Core Affinity, President and owner of the Big Red M, and host of the Six Degrees of Associations podcast. Lucas is passionate about helping associations grow, support their mission, and deliver member value. Over the past 19 years, he's worked with over a 1,000 associations to develop successful programs, optimize marketing, increase revenue, and cultivate industry partnerships. I'm really excited to have him on the show today to talk about affinity programs and the ways they can help benefit associations and their members. So without further ado, Lucas, can you start out by sharing a bit more about your background and by explaining what affinity programs are? Sure. And thanks for having me today, Kelly. <clears throat> this is wonderful. This is affinity programs as a topic I've known the longest. So I've been in the industry about a little over two decades. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth, uh, talking with members, understanding member value, positioning affinity programs. And it was a moment where I'm, I'm entering into sort of a sales position. And I quickly realized this is one of the warmest sales calls you could possibly make. I mean, right, you think about it, you're calling a member and you're saying, hey, you're, you're paying dues. Here's something that you get for your dues that could also help save you or your business money. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to listen to that? So I was just taken at an early stage on how engaged people were when it was something that they've paid for and could save them money. And so I learned a lot through that process. I took myself into different positions and wanted to understand the model, uh, the model of win-win-win, meaning associations, members, and vendors was really intriguing. It, when it's done right, uh, everybody gets kind of what they want out of, out of the relationship. And so over time, you know, we've, we've built a larger portfolio. We've talked and added pieces of technology that could add benefits to the experience. And really, we thought through over time, I mean, my, my experience was, how do I make this a better experience? And so I've always tried to understand all these different facets so that from the member's perspective, they have something that's easy, uh, that makes sense, where they win. And that really leads to all, all other things. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's the important part for associations looking at any kind of partnership or sponsorship or affinity programs, like thinking through how they can bring that value to their members and make the member experience a really good one and one that really supports the members in the work that they do. So just for folks who might not be familiar with affinity programs at all, I imagine a lot of associations are, but if they're not, can you describe like what an affinity program might look like for an association? Sure. I mean, this would be one definition, um, but affinity programs are essentially a curated group of vendors who whose service or product has a direct link to a specific industry or vertical. Um, so you're bringing people who may be vendors to the industry specifically or have a service that has a strong tie to the success of a business. So some of these could just be general office supply programs. Some of these could be much more uh, streamlined and, and 
specific to an industry. They could be chemical based, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons and things that go into making that a successful relationship for, again, for all parties. So really, again, putting together vendors that are adding the most value to, again, the member and the industry. My former association, we hadn't actually, maybe before my time, we had done an affinity program, but I think, and you and I have talked about this before, I think sometimes associations will have tried an affinity program and not really put the time into it that they could have, and then they don't really see the results that they're hoping for. I think that had happened to our association. So it wasn't something we continued to pursue, but I think there are ways to like make those relationships work a lot better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's not unique to you all in your, in your previous association, Kelly, we hear that a lot. And sometimes that's why I say my definition, some people think that affinity programs are synonymous with, you know, discounts at you know movie theaters or, discounts on, you know, 10% off at wherever XYZ location. And some of those can work, but I think that generally affinity programs have gotten a bad rap because of those. And they say, oh, I can find that elsewhere. I can get a better deal. Um, And that's another sort of typical uh, mentality by the larger portions of members. They believe that this is not something that can benefit, although we can talk later in the show on how that's not really the case if it's done right. Uh, and sort of things that you you know do and don'ts, but yeah, I, I think the setup also in terms of what to look for and how to do this right is you have to think of it like a sponsor, right? You have to go into that relationship thinking about how is this going to benefit you as much as it's going to benefit me and the member, and have those conversations and really understand sort of why are you here? Why would you sponsor this? Why would you want to join into this partnership? And then ask again and again and again and just kind of revisit that conversation pretty often. And as you build those ties and understanding, it'll make for better programs. Because then it's sort of built off of a relationship and an understanding of what the two pieces can do for each other. So what the vendors can bring to the members and the ways that the vendors can benefit from having those connections with the members. So that definitely aligns with how I always try to look at our sponsorship program as well. Because if you're not, if you're not paying attention to what your members want and like the ways that you can serve what they're looking for, and you're not also having similar conversations with your vendors, then you're kind of just like prescribing maybe things that don't work for either. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And, and even worse, sometimes what happens is if you don't dedicate enough resources to it, as you mentioned, maybe in a previous association, again, that wouldn't be unique to them too, is it sits there and in this day and age, people just don't have the, the attention or the time to reach out to their association and say, hey, this isn't a great fit. This isn't working out. What they'll do is it won't work and then they'll just turn and get back to business. And so something could sit there for a period, a long period in some cases, and not not just not add value, but actually detract from value if that experience isn't good. Like we, we talk often about, you need to understand qualitative and quantitative measures of success that come directly from your members, what they're doing, right? actual activities and engagements, and also what they're saying. You need to survey them regularly and find out how is that working. You need to take opportunities for testimonials and you need to put them you know, high in the sky so other members can see because that becomes attractive. And when there's enough negative feedback, um, either from a reduced number of activities and engagement, so that's a quantitative measure of this might not be working, or members are outright saying um, this wasn't working for XYZ reason. Those should be an ongoing conversation about 
hey, this might be a, a relationship that we really need to talk about sunsetting. Or this particular vendor, the members love the category, but not this vendor for a, a myriad of reasons. And so you really need to think of it as like a living, breathing portfolio of constantly sort of re-ranking and moving, putting those up on the pedestal that are working well, and then again, moving them to the back burner or off the, the stove completely if they're not a good fit. Yeah, I really like the way that you framed that because I feel like that kind of applies, in my mind at least, that applies across everything an association does. Like um, we just put out our, HireLogic just put out the 2023 Association Member Experience Report. Um, And in that, we kind of survey members every year to like actual members of associations to ask them like what they care about, what they and what they maybe don't care about. Um, And one of the questions we added this year was asking or refined the question rather this year to learn if members feel like they're being asked by their association regularly, like what they want. And members kind of said that they would offer more feedback to their association. So they said, I wish my association asked me more often what I want because they're kind of like ready to tell their association. So I like um, that you brought that up and said, like when you have these opportunities to collect feedback and ask members how it's going, you should ask them because otherwise you might not realize you might have this, uh, I don't know, we had a discount page on our website that I feel like we always were adding things to when we secured new partnerships, but we might not have been looking back at the things that had been there for two or three years to make sure like, does that discount code still work? And does the magazine or whatever we had a discount on, is that still really relevant to our members or is it not? And if a member is going to that and they try to use the discount and it doesn't work, you're kind of making them feel like, well, then, I don't know, they're going to feel a little bit of ick. Yeah, like they're, they're going to be they, like, they, I didn't get really what I thought I was. Or this really doesn't hold a lot of weight or value. And maybe I shouldn't, if they're not paying attention, why should I? Right. Yeah. That or happens. they might I'm, even assume the rest of the resources on the page, even your newer ones are also not good. Like if they open one that they're interested in and it doesn't work, they might not even bother to look at the others. There's dozens of reasons why that experience um, in a very traditional sense, again, where I would say an association puts their programs up on their website and they off ramp them, I would say, typically to another landing page on the vendor site where you're asked to fill out a form for that particular vendor. And then you have to go back and then do it again and do it again. Um, So that can be very off putting. And to your point, yeah, one bad experience, you go to one 404 error page or you email a specific contact and you get a bounce back that they're no longer there. You click a link to sign up and it's broken completely. I I chuckle a little bit because when we go into a new engagement where we're talking to somebody that wants to learn about what we would do at Core Affinity with managing affinity programs, we'll go and do our own due diligence. We'll go to their site and see how they're positioned now. Are they behind a firewall, not behind a firewall? Can I get to it? you know, who's the contact. And I would say 75% of the time in that just quick evaluation, we find something that's broken, something that goes to the wrong link or an email pop-up that doesn't work or something that they download a, a one pager or a brochure and it's got old dates on it or in you know, irrelevant inf- information. And so it's just the first sign that they're not giving it the attention or putting the resources towards it, which I get. It's not typically in a small or medium-sized association, certainly. It's not a primary role of anybody on staff. It's typically a fifth, sixth, or seventh hat that somebody's wearing. And it's difficult because they are focused on all the other aspects of membership or marketing or engagement. And 
again, I've been doing it for 20 plus years. I'm still learning stuff. So the expectation that somebody would come in and just know how to negotiate an affinity program, how to set up a member experience, what could and should be done and what could or should not be done, it's forgivable because it's just not realistic to think that they're going to be set up for that. I feel like that was my experience as well in an association. Like, you know, there were a lot of things you, someone would point out that a link was broken on a page and you have this moment of being like, oh, shoot, I should have like caught that before someone else did. But there's so many moving parts. And I was at a small uh, a smaller association. And there's so many moving parts that you're like kind of juggling at once that you kind of end up in this place of like just trying to like keep everything running to the best of your ability. And to your point, you're going to prioritize those things that, you know, if you have this annual conference or you have specific member benefits that really people are really invested in, you're going to be prioritizing those. And you might not be realizing that those smaller things that you're not spending as much time on, those are impacting your members' engagement as well, but you maybe don't have time to be thinking about them or you might feel like they're not worth putting the time into. Staying on that whole piece of the experience and then going back to the feedback piece just for, I think that's just so critical for a lot of reasons. There's uh, there's a great book that I read years ago about Silicon Valley and how they made originally, you know, Facebook as addictive as cigarettes, right? And one of the things that they did to do that was just play on the psyche of recognition. Like people like to provide the feedback. As you said, that doesn't actually shock me that members would give more feedback if given the opportunity because they want to they want to be heard, right? Everybody wants to have a voice. And I don't mean like everybody wants to stand on stage with a microphone, but they want to be heard, right? Some people prefer, hey, I, I would just like to provide my feedback digitally. If there was a a digital suggestion box on your site that I could dump my thoughts into um, that's not public facing, that would be great. Or I would like to talk to somebody and, and verbally share my thoughts. Either way, letting members be heard uh, plays a really powerful role in engagement because they suddenly feel vested. And, and being able to provide that, even if there's no answer, they, uh, again, this, this was the Facebook thing is they wanted people to put their own posts up there because there's a visceral reaction to trying to remove yourself from a platform or a relationship where you've already sort of given a piece of yourself. And so when you give that feedback, you're giving your time, you feel more vested. Not all, So not only do you get all of the feedback to be able to better position your partners or bring in the right partners, you then also know who might be interested right out of the gate. And then you've also created a deeper engagement with the member. That made me think of how um, even just in my own work on more of like a, a marketing, like as a content marketing person, LinkedIn polls, for example, are really popular in this like era as like a, they often get the most engagement on your social, on a social platform for a lot of different businesses. And it goes back to kind of what you're saying. It's an opportunity for people to engage. And those polls are like, they don't even have to be super deep. It's like oh. you ask one question. I know I like answer them as I'm scrolling just because they're going by. And it might ask me like, do I like Instagram or TikTok better? And I'm like, does this matter? Maybe, maybe not. And I answer it. And then whoever's posted that poll now has information and they got me to engage with their brand. I know like Higher Logic community has polls in it as well. And I, if I was still in an association, I feel like I would be using that regularly in my community because it's just such an easy way for members to give you feedback and just feel like they're getting to tell you something. And then you're also 
getting the feedback you want as opposed to like random emails from people that are upset about something. Not that you won't still get those, but when you give people an opportunity to give you feedback on actual questions you have, I think you're able to direct that feedback a lot better than just kind of leaving it open to just the most you know, excited or most upset people. You actually get that feedback from the rest of the audience that wouldn't necessarily, you know, send you a strongly worded email. (laughs) Yeah. There's a reason that almost every retailer that collects your email address after purchasing sends you a survey. I mean, every time I order from Amazon, you know, that waits like three or four days. How did you like your product after it was delivered? Because they know that that gets me personally more invested. And the one thing that they do, that the ones that do it well, and I would say LinkedIn did this really well too, is they made it easy. You've got to make everything very easy, including affinity programs. If it's difficult, they just won't do it. Time is valuable. I mean, our attention spans are as short as they've ever been in history. And you have very few moments to capture somebody's interests. And it may be, I need to get this down to just one click right? How do I get that? That's a goal of ours. Like, how do I get engagement down to like one click? Because once I know they're interested, then the means at which we follow up with them can be customized to how that person wants to be followed up with, or maybe what they were interested in. Uh, And some people want to go there. I just, I'm just going to get information. If there's no button that says, send me information versus I want to speak with somebody versus um, have somebody call me versus, and this is the one I love, like with Calendly, you can just book a meeting. I'm so over the forms because in fact, I just told our marketing person, like take all forms off all our websites. We're never doing those again. Like it seems so silly. I'm going to go to a website. I'm going to put my information in. Then that person's going to guess on when it's going to be a good time to get back to me, hopefully ideally quickly. But then we have to go back on this back and forth only to like set up a meeting. So I want a button on every affinity program that says if option exists, I just want to book a meeting with somebody to talk about this service. I really would love to find out how I could save 35% on, you know, fill in the blank. And if I could speak with somebody and schedule a 15 minute call rather than fill out another form with my information, I know my calendar, this thing knows theirs. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Reducing that barrier to entry for sure. And I think that's particularly important um, with the kind of influx of a younger generation coming into the workforce, because I think there's a lot less, I mean, I've filled out so many forms in my career that I feel like I will fill out another one because I'm just kind of like, yep, I've done this like 600,000 times. I'll just do it one more time. But I think there's... Thankfully, our computer is now auto-populated. If you do the settings right, I just have to fill out like first letter and then the rest of it goes in. That's great. Yeah, yeah. But I think unless you like, I, I think it comes down to being intentional as well. Unless you have like a reason that something needs to be like a little more... I don't know, more of a form or something, then you kind of want to take all of that off and make sure that things are accessible for people and very easy. And and like you said, one click, I that's always going to be, because I can just do that in five seconds instead of having to take a moment to fill something out and be like, well, actually I have a meeting and I'm going to have to do this later because I don't have time to fill all of this out. Yeah. And if they're not willing to give you that information on the front end of wanting to learn more about a member benefit portfolio in general, then they're probably not interested anyway. And people say, oh, well, if you make people give their information up front one time, which is what we do, there's creates this high barrier to entry. I'm like, well, that's a, so you're telling me that's a higher barrier to entry than them having to off ramp to six or seven different program pages and fill out all their information. Like, no, that doesn't pass the laugh test. Continuing on from kind of what you were talking about, about ways that 
associations can set up, set themselves up for success or maybe the things that they're doing that are kind of creating stop gaps. Can you kind of walk us through what you'd say is your guidance for associations looking to start or even revive an affinity program to help it be more successful? The first step is really deciding that this is something you want to do. Like this is important enough that you're going to dedicate either time or resources to it, right? You can you can assign somebody on staff, hey, you're, you're the point person, you're going to set this whole thing up, you're going to revive it, you're going to be responsible for all of this. Somebody's got to take onus of it, or you're going to you know, hire some fractional resource to do this that specializes in this. Exactly. So that's step number one is just committing to do it, because the worst thing you can do is kind of half-ass it, if I can say that. Like, again, put it up on the website and, and hope that it's doing well. Sometimes that works. I talk to groups sometimes, and they go, you know, how's your affinity program doing? And they'll say, well, it's pretty good. We made $350,000 of non-dues revenue off this program last year. And I say, great. And how do you know that's not underperforming by 200%? Well, crickets, right? Because the second thing was be able to measure and track it. Like what does success look like as an organization? Okay. Some of them just be very clear on why you're setting it up. Are you setting it up to make money? I want non-dues revenue. Are you setting it up as you're trying to increase your value prop? Are you setting it up because you're trying to find new elements of engagement to help your new AMS or CRM score engagement on a broader scale? So it's not just did they go to events and did they renew? Like the more and more data points that you can add to it. So I'd say the first thing is just be very, very clear and intentional about why you're doing this. So know that upfront and sort of put everything through that lens, so to speak, so that you're you're focused on the right thing. That will that will be very apparent. The next is just vet your vendors really, really well. You really want vendors who know your industry, that carry a brand. Uh, I can't tell you how hard it is to push a rock up a hill when nobody knows the brand at all. Like, who is this company? Um, and if you have to sell the company brand and then sell the service or product, it's exponentially more difficult and the activity levels are just minimal. So go with brands that people know, that people trust. And then I would say that going back to what we mentioned earlier is really ask them, like, why would you want to do this as a vendor or partner to our industry with our members? What does success look like to you? And I've, I've gotten, you know, I say after 20 years, I got a lot of scars on how to do it wrong. That was one, uh, that I've learned a couple of times, unfortunately, you just sort of stumble, but really ask the questions. Why is that important? Why should we do this? Why should we not do this? What does success look like to the person who's managing your program from the vendor side of relationship? You really want to create really good alignment with that person. If that person is incentivized, as an example, on brand new business, then, okay, you need to know that up front rather than saying, well, I want all of my participating members to just be part and automatically get a discount oh, well, actually, we can't do that because we have to keep some ratio of new business and, and existing business in these relationships. The next one I would say is really talk to some members before you jump in and do this. You're a little bit guessing or shooting in the dark. I mean, ideally, you do know your industry really, really well enough that you should be able to pick it out if you're from industry. Not everybody's from industry. But really pick, whether it's your board or you create an executive uh, or member committee, do some initial surveying and really listen to the results. And then I would say, listen, like what are members telling you um, they really want or need? And that's a continuing thing, not just at the, at the start of reviving or starting a new one, I would say. 
And then the last point I would say is more is not always better, right? We have over 650 benefit partners at Core Affinity that we could, but I often say like, it's not helpful to turn the dump truck around and give members 50 benefit options right out of the gate. Pick six, eight, like really get to know how are these working? How are they not working with your members specifically? The old adage, if you've met one association, you've met one association. That's true with vendors. Uh, you just, you have to test the waters a little bit and be ready to, to move and pivot a little bit, whether in an offering with a vendor, um, how it's positioned to members and how often. And then once it gets going, I think the other biggest factor is you have to share the good news. If there are members who just say, this is phenomenal, I saved more in the first six months than my membership dues cost for all of last year. And these exist very often. You have to listen for them. You have to find them, but then promote them. Because if you say, hey, XYZ in our industry saved $30,000 through one of our affinity programs, it's amazing how much more effective that will be than you as the association saying, we have these great programs. Well, yes, I pay to be part of this. But what I really pay to be part of this membership very often is I have this network now of people that I know and trust that do what I do, same thing every day. And so they really listen to member testimonials. There's just not enough member testimonials. If, if you could do it, you should create an entire page of member testimonials because you'll see all of these great accolades. That's what will draw people to listen more and pay more attention because the default would be, again, with very short attention spans, I fly in, I look at what you have, I like or I don't like, and then I fly away. But if I know that, hey, one of the largest companies in our industry is using this benefit program and saved money, I want to be like that. I'm going to pay attention. That And it aligns with what I've heard of and what I've seen in sort of the research of associations getting their most like actual members through referrals. And I think that goes for their like the benefits they're going to engage with as well. Like they're going to see other members or other possible members saying, I, I love this association. It's a key part of my job or this member benefit changed my life, like changed my work life. Um, and that's going to mean a lot to them in terms of the way that they make decisions for their own professional development, for their own time and investment in the association. Yeah. And what a credibility statement that is when you have those members who save more than their dues. Absolutely. That Then, of course, when they go to make the case to their, because a lot of, at least in the association I've worked with, the members have to get approval. So like the member might love the association, but they have to go to their boss or their boss's boss to get the, the budgetary approval to have that membership. And if they can go to their boss and say, well, this doesn't actually even cost us anything because I save just as much as we spend on it, that's going to be a much easier case that they can make to their boss when they want their membership that year. That's a great point. And, and we actually have one relationship and I'll, I'll sanitize it by not sharing the name, but we work closely with them in a couple of different departments. And one of them is the renewal specialist. They're big enough to have a renewal specialist. And that person as a second stage, if they find out that somebody's not going to renew, we are the first people they come to. We pull all the data out of our system that because we manage all of their programs for them. We pull all the data out of our system that shows engagement um, and savings. And we share that with that person of those where we where we have a match where the member is using the programs, 75% of the time that we are sending information back, it's showing just that, that this person saved more than you're asking them to renew. So yes, it's a great statement for them, as you said, to take it, get approval on a renewal uh, and move forward. So that just 
punching the value back down to say there's more to this than savings, but this is a great start. I love that you've brought up too, like in the cases where an association might outsource their affinity program with an organization like yours, like Core Affinity, I think then you have that expertise to pull that report, like you said, so that they're not kind of trying to go back through stuff. So if they don't have the on-staff capacity to really be analyzing what their affinity program is doing for an individual member that is potentially about to churn, although I think churn is more of like a corporate term, um, we get it. but it, not not going to re- renew, then they have now this very specialized opportunity to kind of say, well, you're actually going to lose more money if you don't renew. Yeah. I would say if you're, if you're starting an association program uh, and you're thinking through all the pieces of how is this going to work, I want to set this thing up, don't discount the work that, that will need to be done around reporting. But it's important that you get those reports. So if you set up a program and you have 10 different vendors, let's say, which doesn't sound like a crazy amount, you have 10 contacts that you're working with for marketing. You have 10 monthly, quarterly, or annual reports that you're going to need to consolidate. And ideally, typically, that person is going to have to present to their board, you know, how effective is this program that we've put together once or twice a year at least. And so there is a little bit of lift in that. And just considering, again, whether you're going to start or not, that's a, that can be a significant time suck, if you will. And, but it is, it is really important to understanding, as you said, is this working? What's the value? What are the savings, revenues, growth metrics and KPIs? Yeah. And finding opportunities to improve too. I mean, I think, again, from my experience in, in associations, I think often the reporting is something that you push off because you're busy doing like the things that are happening now. So you're not looking back as much as you could be. And I think trying to get past that mindset is really important because looking back at what you did and what it what impact it has gives you an opportunity to say, well, that wasn't worth it or that really was worth it. Like, oh, here's a program and we spend this much time on it, but it doesn't seem to impact anyone. So like, how should we try to change it or should we abandon it strategically? I love strategic abandonment. It's like one of my favorite, (laughs) I feel like one of my favorite phrases because sometimes you'll find that like, you're just spending a lot of resources on something because, you know, maybe a former executive director was super jazzed about it or something. and, And now you just keep putting time into it and it's not what the members are looking for anymore or vice versa. You find, wow, like our our job board at my um, association was like, really didn't take much effort. We had outsourced it and it was a great non-dues revenue driver. And it was a great opportunity for us to meet new potential members um, because they were using the job board. And then we'd be like, oh, they're not a member yet. They should be a member if they're trying to advance their career in this field. We're a perfect fit for them. So having those, like you said, kind of taking the time up front to say, what are the what are the goals we have? How are we going to measure them? What are the reports we need to set up so that we can measure them? Right. And then regularly, like setting aside the time to regularly check on that and say, yep, it's working or it's sort of working, but could we tweak this and make it work better? Or no, it's not working at all. Like what do we need to do <laughs> instead of this? Yeah. And there's good information in those reports and in the data itself, just sort of at an aggregated level for trends but the real the ones the programs that turn out to be really really successful are those associations or or the, the person at the point of those programs for the association they really roll up their sleeves and dig in to the data and look at what is this telling us because sometimes you find in there for example 
oh, everybody's loving this program, but they actually just love this one product. So why don't we just highlight this product so more people understand that this product is available at a testimonial that this many members are using this product within it. And a nice inflection point can come out of that in terms of growth. Yeah. But it, yeah. Is, but it takes more time. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, um, on the topic of trends, I feel like one last thing I wanted to touch base with you about was, are there any trends or innovations you've observed in the world of affinity programs for associations that you feel like are worth calling out or kind of making an impact on the future of these types of programs? I think um, that's a great question. In terms of trends, what we see more and more of is the desire around the data. Like there, we've had recent engagements where people said, I'm not interested in the non-dues revenue. I think if our members save, that's a great data point. And they really want to come back to, I want to understand how this engagement can lead to more renewals and nothing else, just that they're engaging. How do we make that happen? And the data around that, because data has become just such a valuable commodity and associations do have a lot of data. And I think they're still working through how to, um, one, pull it all together in a single source and whether they put that into, you know, sort of a data lake type of module, but they have all these plugins, right? And so if, if the program can produce more data and create more insight into the scale or the percentage, you know, likely percentage that this person will renew, I think that um, has become a trend that people lean on. And again, I'm shocked that, some, you know, having these conversations where traditionally it was, I really want the non-dues revenue. Right. That was a that was a means of diversifying beyond dues. And so any way we can do that, that's what they see. And we still have those. They come to the table. How quickly can we get this to 10, 50, 100, 200 thousand dollars? OK, at least we're singing from the same sheet of music, so to speak. But more of a trend is I'm not as interested in that. I am interested in the data, though, and what that could produce. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like it might, in part, it could be coming back to, I I think, like less associations, or I don't even know if it's less associations. I've noticed more of a situation with members having to justify budgets more often, like both for events and for membership. And so, you know, in that case, the data, like you talked about before, being able to say to them, well, your dues are actually, you more than pay for your dues with all the savings that you have. Having that data point would really keep would really drive renewal for an association that is having that problem because they could say, well, you're actually going to miss out if you stop being a member. But the engagement feels really that that kind of data on engagement or that um, data on showing that the affinity program drives engagement that feels very like core to the association goal. Again, in our recent association member experience report um, that we just put out, Last year and this year, the main reason that members say they don't renew is because they're not feeling engaged. So cultivating that engagement is basically like the bread and butter of an association. So it definitely makes a lot of sense then that they're kind of coming to you with that. But it is interest, it, it is very interesting, like you pointed out, that there may be less focused on the non-dues revenue, unless they kind of like know that that's going to come with it. And they also want to see, well, what else would we get? out of this. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it it's never not a factor. It's just maybe not the primary as often primary, as, as it used right. to be because there is so much value in those other those other components like data has value, insight has value. Yeah, we see that with community as well. Associations that are able to monitor what the conversations that are happening in their communities, that's one of the key values they get out of it because they can see 
what their members are talking about and what their members care about. And that positions them better to kind of meet their needs. And engagement um, sometimes feels like a new, newly synonymous with attention, right? Like we want to get people's Mm -hmm. attention. We say engagement, we want to get people's attention because it's being so taxed from all different areas of, of life and more and more new technologies and new means and new programs pop up all the time. I don't want to even confess how much time I spend on TikTok. Like <laughs> I don't, I don't like being confronted with how much time I spend on, <laughs> on that kind of thing. So yeah, my attention span, it's the, definitely a competition for what's going <laughs> to, what I'm going to spend time on. Yeah. Uh, that, that's well, not an easy task. I, I think associations struggle with that too. And in, in starting trying to get out of the gate is, am I going to build something? This would be a, a serious challenge, as you said, am I going to build something that's going to be more attractive than TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't want to have to measure my business objectives against TikTok because uh, against TikTok's performance. Yeah. I they've got there's something in the water. <laughs> yeah. And thankfully they are a little bit apples and oranges, which is great. Yeah. They need programs in TikTok. Uh, you know, as we talked about, the other trend that I saw is, is typically affinity programs that I mentioned earlier in the show is it was kind of targeted for the smaller members, right? Like, oh, I, I can't, I don't have any buying power to get access to a program that the big guys in our industry could negotiate on their own. So I can sort of ride this collective pre-negotiated deal um, or program that the association put together for me. And so all the little guys, right? That's the notion. Like, all those little guys, they can benefit from that. It's not necessarily always true. I I feel like more and more we're finding ourselves in conversations with larger members who, you know, it could be just a product of the last couple of years and just a tightening of belts and across all sorts of landscapes. But even the larger members are now open to conversations. And if we bring those to vendors, they're open. And then, you know, we can pull more buying power and everybody wins, sort of like all boats rise with the tide. If we can get the larger members in and and get them attached, that's become more and more a reality in them actually saving money through these programs. Now, as a percentage, they may not save 20% because sure, they've negotiated 18 of that on their own. But if they can come in and save 2% on a $5 million annual spend in a particular vendor, it's still significant enough to a procurement agent or, you know, somebody who an executive at that who's looking to find some ways to add to the bottom line. That's a good call out um, because I think, you know, you might get attached to those bigger percentage numbers, but like you said, on these bigger, on on a bigger budget line item, even the smallest per- percentage is going to make a difference. Absolutely. Dollar, like literal, <laughs> in literal dollars. Yeah. Um, well, I have really enjoyed this conversation. Affinity programs isn't something that I had a lot of experience with in my own uh, work. So I feel like I've learned a lot from uh, talking with you about them. And I hope that our listeners have also learned kind of the ways that they can uh, adjust those programs or revive those types of programs. Um, is there anything else that's top of mind for you that you'd like to leave listeners with as we wrap up? I think whether you have a new program, you have an existing program, just again, save the time, use the time to work on that piece of your business, I meaning really take time to evaluate is this the best member experience? Are we offering the best programs? Don't be afraid to sunset a program that isn't doing any good for your association, right? Cut the tie, let it go. It's better to work with fewer want that have a ton of engagement that are producing ton of value and savings to the members and non-dues revenue for you all than it is to have this huge portfolio where 
the tail end of that is really doing nothing. Typically, the Pareto principle of 80% of your member value and revenue is generated from 20% of your programs. Don't be afraid to cut the, cut the tail on that other 80% or some portion of it because there'll actually be fewer relationships to manage, fewer reports to get, and just as much, if not more value because you save the time on focusing on those. I love that as a closeout. I think that many businesses and associations could uh, use that strategy. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today, Lucas. Um, For our listeners, again, um, you can check out uh, Core Affinity online and also um, the Six Degrees of Associations podcast that Lucas hosts. I will include those in the show notes. Um, I've mentioned several times in this podcast, um, in case you have, can't tell, I'm really excited about it. Um, we have a 2023 association member experience report that we just put out. So I will include that in the show notes as well. Um, that collected data directly from association members about what things are really important to them right now. And then uh, also just a heads up, we've got uh, registration is open for the uh, Super Forum 2024 conference, um, which takes place next year uh, in April, April 10th and 12th, I believe. So I'll also include the link to that in the show notes. Thanks for having um, me, th- Kelly. It was great. I, I look forward to the report as well. It sounds like definitely some, some great content there. Thank you so much. And you'll hear us next time, listeners. <laughs>